Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you. We are going to take calls next hour with Leonard Mladenow, his book, Stephen Hawking, a memoir of friendship and physics. Leonard's website linked up at coasttocoastam.com. Leonard, I've got to give you the, the question that I ask every physicist who comes on the show about the Big Bang. What the heck is it? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one, George. We could teach a whole course on that. Uh, the the most basic answer is that that's the beginning of the universe, but there really was no beginning, so there really was no Big Bang. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's just, you know, when people say that uh, the Big Bang exploded from something, I want to know how it got there in the first place. And, you know, it, it, it's hard to accept, but that qu- question, physics tells us that that question doesn't really have an, an answer because if, if um, you apply Einstein's theory to the universe and you move backwards in time toward what might you might think of as the zero point or the beginning, uh, the universe gets smaller and smaller, meaning the matter is more concentrated and and matter warps space and time. And you get to a certain point where the warping is such that there's no more meaning to the question of, you know, the distinction between space and time. They, they don't, there's no time as we know it. It just, uh, at some, before some point, it just no longer exists. It's something else is there. Some, there's four dimensions, but they're not space and time. And so it's hard for us to grasp that. We like to think that there's a beginning. And if you just look at Einstein's equations on their own without quantum theory, then it, it looks like there was one. But when you take into account the actual laws of nature, we find that there really wasn't. Uh, it's not that there wasn't a beginning so much as that the question doesn't make sense because time doesn't make sense all the way back to what you would think would be the beginning. Uh, so I know that's a bit of an odd answer, but that's what, what physics says today. And, uh, you know, talk, to talk about life and how it originated, that's another, you know, complexity right there. I mean, how in the scheme of things can we get life the way we know it out of out of basically nothing. Well, that's something else that we don't really uh, well that's that we don't really understand. And, and take God out of the equation for a moment. You know, the theory of evolution is is very well developed and validated, uh, which means that if we start with some kind of life form, we can get more complicated ones over billions of years, and and so our we we can evolve from that, and we know that we've evolved from more primitive um, apes and monkeys, and that they evolved from the first mammals and so forth. You can go back. But the, the question of how the inorganic Earth in the early, you know, a part of Earth's existence produced the first organic um, cells that were capable of creating their own, you know, energy from the environment. Sure, and, and replicating and everything Repli- else. Yeah, we don't know how that first step happened. So if people tell you that they, that, um, that, we know how life got to be how it is today. They're they're not really being honest with you, I think, or not being open because uh, that first step, science uh, admits, you know, we don't yet understand. I'm not saying we won't understand it, and people have theories and they're working on it, but we don't really understand it, which means that we can't say what is the probability if we find another planet Earth and another sun that 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 there's going to be life there because we can talk about all the the thi- you know the probabilities of 
of life developing from some more primitive life, but, but we don't know what the chances are that that first cell will develop. So we don't really understand that. It's just, um, you know, we can all speculate. You probably have your feeling. I feel like there's mm-hmm. aliens out there and other intelligent beings. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, you feel that way, but it might be wrong. It might be that that first step is a one in a trillion uh, or one in a quadrillion uh, probability, and it only happened once. You know, <laughs> Or it might be that every Earth-like planet has it. Who knows? Did Stephen Hawking ever talk about how he thought life originated here? Uh, he, yeah, you know, we talked once about, I forgot what the theory is called now, that where, where something might come from, from, a, uh, you know, from space with... with um, Panspermia. Yes, thank you. And, and I, think he, I think he believed, uh, he believed that. If I remember right in our discussions, he believed that was one likely way that it happened. And, you know, I mean, why not? Just as likely as sure. the other, which we don't understand anyway. <laughs> But how did it happen there? How did it happen there? Right, just kind of postpones the question, right? It's truly remarkable. With Stephen Hawking and the kind of brain he had, was he always intelligent? I think, you know, in my experience, he he had an intelligent approach to to most things. I, I mean, even to you know aspects of life or things that are not have to do anything to do with physics. He was just very analytical in his in his reasoning and his thinking. I think as, you know, most theoretical physicists are, they're, I mean, some of them are a little bit off the deep end and get a little irrational, but, but um, in general, your, your whole profession is clear, logical thinking, so then when you're at a restaurant or in a relationship or whatever you're dealing with, you tend to just carry that through, uh, you know, which can annoy people because maybe it's not, maybe it's not the way people should always relate, but... He was 76 when he died, Leonard. He should have died much earlier than that. He just kept fighting, and he kept making it, didn't he? He did, and so, you know, one, if you know him or if you read about him, you learn, you know, you, you learn a lot about um, the power, willpower, uh, power of faith, because he had faith that, that he would survive or that he can go forward. And he also learned that, you know, you, you only limit, you know, that you're, most people are limited by their own expectations and beliefs about themselves. And had Stephen taken the conventional approach uh, and listened to what everyone said this disease does to you, he wouldn't have gotten anywhere. But he, he, he for him, the, the sky was the limit. He had, you know, he placed no limits on his idea that of what he could accomplish despite his disability. And, and then he went ahead and did it. Uh, you know, he, 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 he reached for the stars, I guess, and he, he studied them and, and, and uh, accomplished what he wanted. He has had uh, three children, right? That's right. And um, one time I was uh, talking with him about what life is about, and I t- mentioned my son, Nikolai, who was in high school then, and that he, Nikolai said basketball is life. He was a basketball fanatic. And I said to you, I guess, Stephen, um, physics is life. And he said to me, no, love is life. And, uh, you Beautiful. know, that really, you know, touched me, you know, coming from, from the person you think of as, you know, the, the great physics spirit <laughs> that he's going, no, it's, it's about relationships. He never let the, his illness get him down, did he? No, it's a, it, and I've talked to, uh, you know, his best friends when I was writing the book and I asked them that question and they, you know, they said that he never saw him feeling sorry for himself or getting depressed about it. Just for a short time, I think when it, um, in 1985, when he lost his ability to communicate because he, 
he needed an operation that made a tracheostomy a hole in his chest so he could breathe, and then before that he could still talk, and after that he couldn't. And uh, and at that for six months he couldn't communicate at all. I mean, he would have to like blink his eyes if you 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 would point to a letter on a card, and he would blink his eyes to choose that letter, and it was basically useless. And uh, being in prison like that got him down for a few months, but he he you know recovered from that, and he never looked back. And technology took over. Technology took over. Thank God. I mean, you know, he that that simple point at the letter, and he blinks, got replaced by computer technology, where he could click a mouse and pick letters, and and that wasn't the you know ideal way to communicate. But he, you know, that's how we wrote books together. He was able to do it then. Today they'd have him uh, wired up with electrodes, and he'd just think his thoughts, and it would speak. Probably they they tested that on him, and, and you know that was probably about mm, nine years, eight nine years ago, and uh, you know he had some success, but it was kind of clunky, and he didn't he didn't go for it, and he just went back to his usual way. But they they actually tried that, and today, of course, I'm sure that technology is much better. Leonard Milan now with us, his latest book on Stephen Hawking, Stephen Hawking, A Memoir of Friendship and Physics. We're going to take calls with Leonard next hour here, both on Stephen Hawking and also physics and science. And jump aboard if you're into all that, because uh, we've got one of the best physicists here now. What would you say, Leonard, is something that you would love to solve in physics that you haven't been able to do that yet? Well, you know, I would love to be able to show how uh, the two theories we have in physics today, uh, one being, uh, I mentioned that we have a theory of gravity, and then we have another theory of the other three forces, and I would like to, you know, figure out a single theory that encompasses all that. Uh, and, you know, that's, that was Einstein's dream, and uh, we haven't made much progress since then. Uh, String theory was supposed to be a you know a, a road toward that, and it hasn't really panned out. And uh, so I would like to that you know if I could choose something to do, <laughs> if it was that easy, I would I would pick that. I mean, there's other questions that are very interesting, but that's the biggest that's the biggest question for theoretical physicists today. What do you think of the theory of the multiverses, more than one? Well, it, it seems that, that that's true that that there are multiple parallel universes, and um, without getting into the technicalities, I mean, nobody, see, in phys- the way physics works, you don't sit down and say, maybe there's multiple universes, let's, theor- let's, let's suppose that's true and um, make a theory of that. No, no one did that. They, 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 we have our other theories in which we're trying to understand the forces of nature and the evolution of the universe through general relativity and through the, the theory of, of the the forces and the particles of nature, and as you're exploring that, you discover, holy cow, uh, there's multiple universes. These theories tell us that there's multiple universes when we do it. it is, so no one says there's multiple universes, I'm gonna, that's my idea. They are led to that by the other theories, which are verified through our experiments. So I think most physicists today would, uh, would agree that, that uh, one way or another, there are, there are different universes. Where is physics headed these days, Leonard? Well, the last 20 years, uh, we've we found that, that our understanding of, of the large-scale universe is, is really lacking. Uh, it's kind of an astrophysics uh, issue uh, with the, 
the expansion of the universe accelerating and the mo- motion of the stars in the galaxies and of the galaxies is not explained by what we know. And so we've posited these things called dark energy and dark matter, and we don't know what they are. And I think that we're, and now with these new muon and electron uh, results that I spoke about earlier that seem to contradict the standard model, you know, I think we're going in a direction where we're going to learn how to uh, change our, our theory and, uh, and, you know, make it better and understand those, those big mysteries. That's pretty remarkable. I mean, would you go through science again if you were up going through the school system? Oh, yeah, it definitely would. In fact, it might be better now. If I was like 20 now instead of 60, you know, it might be even better because when I was young, uh, the standard model had, had you know, the, 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 our, our theory that we have had, had just been developed, and we went through decades of which we're just going, uh, you know, this experiment, the experiment, yes, yes, check it off, check it off. Oh, it all works really well, you know, without, without any, you know, great anomalies to explain. And, and now uh, with these new mysteries, I, I think there's, some, you know, something to chew on and for the new people coming in. And, and, um, and it's, it's, we need a new direction, I think. We, we, it's, it's a time where not just, uh, you know, minor modifications to the theory. We just need a new idea, like this idea that the universe is a quantum computer. That could be, you know, that could be it. I'm not saying it is, but um, some other direction where we're looking at things a little differently, and then we, we, we find how everything fits together. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern, and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.